Hi and welcome to the podcast, you're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Izzy Lawrence, who is a jiu-jitsu practitioner, a comedian and a podcaster. We had a really interesting chat in Yumcha, which is a tea house in Soho, and I really enjoyed the conversation. It went like some, I don't know, pretty controversial places. I was very uh, quick to reassure Izzy she came in and she was a little bit uncertain about you know, I said I'd like to talk about, you know, dangerous ideas, things that make you uncomfortable, things that you believe that you're not un- entirely sure if you believe them or not, so on and so forth. I've explained the podcast before. I have a little spiel that I do. I say, you know, feel free to say anything. If there's anything you're uncomfortable with, we can retract it. And she took the reins and ran with it. And she talked about some, you know, really uh, interesting and controversial ideas. And she said things in a, a great way. I really enjoyed the chat. I didn't necessarily agree with everything, but that's also good. I, I don't want to agree with everyone on everything. I find that a very kind of boring trend at the moment. Furious agreement. I don't feel think that's a real kind of growth industry. Um, so that's that. And I am in Edinburgh from next week. This is uh, terrifying and soon. I am in York on the 30th for the Great Yorkshire Fringe. I have a show on the 30th. It's a preview of Empire. And then after that, it will just be Edinburgh for the month, 10 p.m. at the Gilded Balloon. I'll also be doing, I think, a bugle there and various other guest slots. Um, please come. Please send your friends. Uh, this is This is the thing. This is the big kind of... Everest of the year, it's the big mountain and it could all go terribly wrong uh, or it could go really lovelyly or probably a mix of the two. I'm very excited that Laura Davis will be there and we'll probably do a podcast together as well while we're both hanging out in Edinburgh. It's her first year in Edinburgh, I'm very excited for that. You should also go see various other people who have been on the podcast, uh, Tiff Stevenson, uh, Samina Zera I'll be doing next week, various other people you should just go and see everybody who you think is an interesting cool person why not your life will be fuller for the experience that's it from me i am rambling this is more than i normally talk at the beginning of the podcast but i've just come back from brighton i did a preview in brighton which was lovely Uh, i was worried about brighton because it has a reputation for being very sensitive and i deliberately you know the kind of comedy i do is sometimes deliberately a little bit uncomfortable even though i've tried to make it very clear you know what side of justice and right and shining heavenliness I'm on uh, sometimes you fall short in terms of uh, how you can control people's reactions to things so I was a little bit nervous about Brighton and it went really well and that made me very happy so uh, I'm somewhat less nervous about the show I think it's a solid show I think it's only going to get better in Edinburgh so come along and see it or send your friends I will try to uh, film it at some point in Edinburgh or when I get back to Australia and I'll put it on the website along with The Resistance. That's the plan. If I get it done, that would be good. Enough from me. Enough. Enough. You will enjoy listening to this conversation I had uh, with Izzy. I'm not telling you what to do. I just think you will. Uh, If you uh, maybe ramp your sensitivity levels down a little bit, if you're feeling a bit sensitive, maybe uh, put it off until you feel strong and uh, capable of um, not getting upset by controversial topics. That's that from me. I will see you next week. Bye. What you're drinking and who you are. I am drinking Diet Coke, Mm -hmm. which is probably 
not the most good for you drink to drink, but it is cold and it is slightly fizzy, which is nice. And I am Izzy Lawrence. Okay, and uh, you are a comedian? I am a comedian and I host a couple of podcasts, the British Museum member cast, which is ostensibly for their members. It's about the members' lectures, basically. But I did sit on many a long meeting where they were like, what should we call our podcast? Should we call it, you know, the podcast, the British pod, the Brit pod? That's sort of well, it's for the members. So how about the member cast? And of course, all you do is you picture a plaster cast penis. Yes. And, and so I just sat through just keeping my lips cut, just shut, just go, please call it this. And so, yeah, if you want to find the British Museum member cast, search hashtag member cast, which is just a lovely thing. Um, so I do that, and I do a podcast called The Zedless Deadlist, which mm-hmm. is about obscure people from history, which is the show that I run. It's a live show, and it's also a podcast. And I also have got another one called Seti Sopo, which is Opposite Backwards. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's where me and my friend Simon discuss the opposite of things that don't have a natural opposite. Like? So, um, for well, last... Well, we had some weird ones, like the opposite of motorways is Taramasalata, but that's... That was that's a bit obscure. Opposite of aglet, after a long debate, is simply an eyelet. An aglet is the little plastic covering of a shoelace. Oh. That sort of thing. It's completely pointless, but we get nice listeners who give suggestions. And that's it's great. It's a fun little weekly thing. It's quite a lot of podcasts. I like done. podcasts. I do. I've been listening to them since like 2005, and I really enjoy. There's. I started listening to one called Skepticality, and then I started listening to The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, and I'm the actual introducer of, if you listen to The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, it's quite a popular science podcast, and if you want to know who it is, going, you're listening to the British Museum, well, not the British Museum, that's <laughs> wrong, you're listening to The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, your escape to reality. That's, that's you. Me. That is me. So, no, I'm a huge fan of podcasts. I worked it out. I listen, I spend more of my time it's my main media so more than cinema more than television more than books it's now podcasts it goes podcast books tv well no youtube <laughs> tv <laughs> and then and then down from there yeah, yeah. the dwindling spiral of time wasting yeah, yeah i i would say probably yeah audiobooks and podcasts are up there yeah. with books for me yeah i i don't listen to many audiobooks mm. mainly because i don't I get, I forget, and then and then I forget where I was, and I listen to the same chapter again and again and again and again, and I'm just like, I think I know what's going to happen in this book. Because uh, you've already heard it. Yeah. Whereas if I'm reading a book, I've got a little thing. You can dog ear the page. Exactly, or put a book and I can in. read back our page, and I can go back and check. Whereas audiobooks, you can't go back and you check. You don't have that physicality to no, it. No, which is, I think it's a limitation. I think it's really good, because... I think you absorb information much better when it's spoken than you do when it's read. Mm. I absorb pictures a lot, and I absorb. Uh, but if I'm listening to a podcast I've heard before, I know exactly what I was doing. And well, I last there's a really it. fascinating guy called Wolf, um, Doctor Wolf, I think, and he made the point that we're not evolved to read. We're quite. We're evolved to listen and understand information, and reading is just a hacking of our ability to do pattern recognition yeah which which is a great thing we've done an incredible thing we've hacked our own brains into being able to read and record information by using that thing where we can recognize things that we've seen before but it's not actually a natural no thing 
I found the best way that if you want true brain hacks, if you want to really access your memory, because mm. the reason we have memory is largely spatial awareness, knowing where to find all the good sexy dudes to raise our kids with, knowing where to find all the good berries to feast on, where to find sea to have a bit of a wash, all of that sort of thing is knowing your environment. So if you want to learn your Edinburgh show, yes, speak it, no, record a preview of it, and then just plug it in your ears and go for a long walk. Ah. And then go for a long walk again, same route. Uh-huh. And you will really, really, really learn it. See, I find that's, that makes sense to me because when I go from one venue to another, if I'm going from Melbourne to Sydney, mm. the first night I do it, I'm sort of, where am I on the stage? Because I'll, I'll perform different parts in yeah. different sort of directions. It's also a really good signifier to audiences. I noticed, I remember watching a lot of Edinburgh shows before I did one myself. I thought, I'm going to cack the structure of this before I have a go. And basically, if you look at somebody like Andy Zaltzman, he, would, he wouldn't do an hour set. He would do three 20-minute sets, with five, well, or three 15 sets, broken up into two groups of seven with little two-minute bits where he's walking in between the bits of stage. Uh. So there's a bit where he sat down. And you need that to break the structure up because I have seen the weirdest things where I've seen very, very competent comedians get up, do headline, do a headline set and 30 minutes of just pure solid laughter and then nothing. And mm. they're being even funnier than they were before, but the audience are tired. Uh, yes. And in an hour, you have to build in those lulls. If you don't build in those lulls and you're just hilarious, you'll be hilarious for 20 minutes and then the audience will walk out thinking you were shit. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's an, uh, comedy is a really weird trick. Mm to pull off but um yes but uh that's it that is audiobooks <laughs> somehow what have you been wrestling with recently i've been i've been on a bit of a health kick this year i've been doing a lot of um i've been going to the gym a lot and i had that weird thing that happens to you where because i started going regularly to the gym and started really enjoying the benefits i was seeing and i didn't up my calories oh and so i lost a lot of weight and I started getting comments, and I thought, uh, quite horrible comments from, I mean, from friends is fine, but also from internet people and that sort of thing. And I was like, oh, that's irritating. Because you can't, it's not like, if somebody calls somebody fat, people just go, well, that's a terrible thing, you shouldn't do that. But if you get called a Holocaust victim, yeah. <laughs> you know. And to be fair, I was never underweight. I've now gained a bit of weight back, and I'm, I'm, I'm bulking, I think is the phrase. But uh, it just really started to irritate me. And also being told that I wasn't a real woman. Wow. A lot. And it's this body. Also, I've got the sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm very, every time I see a body positivity post, I get proper, like, fucked off. Like, really sort of like, you know, you're healthy at any size. And I'm just like, no, technically, if I'd lost more weight, I would not have been healthy. And also, technically, if I gain a lot of weight, I am not healthy. And then I start to go, but that's no reason to judge anybody. So, yes. I, understand, so I understand the movement, but then I'm like... <laughs> and when you start being told this, you start looking and you start seeing everything and you start looking at people and it's just, it gets in your head. It really does. So I'm, I'm, I'm one of these... I've been told it is not feminist to go to the gym. Really? Mm-hmm. See, because I love I going to the gym. Yeah, exactly. I like it too because that is feeding into the patriarchy because the only reason some people think you'll go to the gym is vanity. But, uh, see, I think the opposite. I think for men particularly, but also for women, uh, and I say 
okay, I've I've sort of made that uh, a gendered thing. Mm. I think for everybody, knowing the limits of your body, knowing your capacity is a really empowering thing. You can walk down the street and there's a subliminal part of your brain that goes, I can deal with that, I can't deal with that. And just knowing, having that certainty Mm. is a really powerful thing. Feeling like you're strong in your body is a powerful thing. It's great. I just really like going to particularly like high interval training classes, you know, the H-I-I-T High thing. intensity, yeah. That, that, that thing. Because I, I just real I would have been such a good dog. Mm-hmm. This is this is the thing. I do jiu-jitsu as well. And it's, the, I don't do the cool Brazilian jiu-jitsu where it's all like, hey guys, we're just going to roll now. We're just yeah. going to like, you know, just go roll. No, I do the, we've got to Ray to your sensei and you got to you know it's very important you bow to your teacher like that because they all work in IT and it's the only respect they get but um, it is that sort of thing of you have Japanese it's all formal so you, you it's all very formal you have to bow when you come into the room you have to bow when you get on the mats if you swear you have made to do press ups if you you know, even if you've broken something, you yeah. know, it's difficult to do press ups if you've broken something, but there is punishments involved. You're not allowed to drink water the entire time. Wow. You have to leave the dojo if you're going to eat or drink anything, and then you have to come back in. Same with the toilets, it's very discouraged. So it's all about the discipline, and it's all, and there's nothing else in my life which has a hierarchy like that. Yeah. Because I'm like you, we're sort of like, freewheeling, don't, ha- don't have a boss, don't have yeah, having anything like that. Having it's sort of an interesting one because that kind of gym, gym or physical discipline is a discipline that you can control. Mm. You can just not go yeah. to the gym. No one's forcing you to go and bow to this person. Mm. But if you are doing this process, then you do it properly. It's very, because I'm not a religious person, and it's very religious. You know, in that sort of like, there's a whole ritual to it, and there's a whole everybody's in it together, and you've got that little cult aspect to it, of like you know, having you know, if I meet somebody. And they just go, oh, you do jiu-jitsu? And I go, yeah, do jiu-jitsu, do you do jiu-jitsu? Yeah, same foundation, same foundation. Oh, my God, do you know X, Y, Z? Yes, I do. What belt are you? Yeah. You know, what are you getting, you know, how are you finding Soda Suri Kobayashi or another sort of weird throw? And it, you just and you, you just immediately bond with somebody. Whereas, yeah. you know, what do you do? Muay Thai? Oh, <laughs> it's, it's not the same thing. But um, so th- you've got that sort of like culty family aspect to it, which I find really good. And of course, like any, like everything, you've got the feminist struggles in that as well, because there aren't very many female black belts. And it's largely down to the fact, I think, one, it's the same reason there aren't many female executives. By the time you get to a black belt, it takes several years, and women tend to move on, and they don't get, they don't have their self-worth attached to a colour of belt as much as men do, I think is partly to do with it. But also the gradings you're graded alongside men and you're made to fight men uh, interesting so your jitsu has to be i think incredibly good similar with small guys i mean when you've got like we've got senseis who are uh, 120 kilograms punching in the head my yeah. green belt grading a guy came at me with a chain who's 120 kilos and i had to throw him disarm the chain and then move straight on to the next bloke wow so it's it's I th- there's there's just you know I do I do I am incredibly feminist obviously because if I wasn't I'd be a moron but there are differences in physicality of men and women which we kind of want to deny which I don't know I mean this is point of your podcast is normally I just go I won't say anything but no, I'm going to I'm going to talk about this, this like is for example I don't know if you've ever seen an asthma chart 
Yes. Yeah. So when you blow, you know, the test for asthma is you blow into a tube and then however much you can exhale, your peak flow rate. And a woman's, an athletic woman's peak flow rate is lower than an asthmatic man's, a severely asthmatic man's. Wow. Same height. You know, there's just, there are, they, if you've ever fought a man, because I used to go, I'm massive, I'm six foot, right? And before I did jiu-jitsu, I'd be like, well, that bloke's smaller than me, so we're probably about equal. No, they're chimps. Yeah. The just the m- amount of strength a man has is just completely different. Yes, and I think that's one of, I mean, it's a weird thing about sort of the current popular strains of feminism that will simultaneously acknowledge the danger of men, mm. that men are more aggressive and potentially more violent or can be more violent, but then you don't address the fact that there is this inequity of physical yeah. power. And once you have that, again, it's, it's a just a basic knowledge thing. If you have that knowledge, then you can deal with it. You can, If you know that you're fighting a man who's smaller than you or that is likely to be stronger than you, then you can deploy other... Mm. Sort of your technique's got to be right up there. Yeah, your technique's yeah. got to be up there, or you've you've got to run, or you've got to call for help, or you you, you have yeah. to. Running, by the way, is the best defense. Any martial artist will tell you. Run away. Run away. If you can run away, run away. Yes. That is the best thing you could possibly ever do. Well, I I think that is a really interesting thing. I think sort of to take it away from just feminism. I think it's also important for men. Yeah. To do. Um, well, physical I don't think things, it surprises men. Which as is, much. of course, you know, many people have. You know, disabilities or yeah. other things. I don't think that those are. I think there are very few small moral guys. failings. I think there are very few small guys, particularly who are quite weak at school, who don't know that bigger, how powerful bigger blokes are and how strong they are. Yes. Even if they never got into a fight, they've probably played like a game like rugby or played British Bulldog in the garden or whatever. They yes. know, whereas women don't. They don't have a sense of. No, I know. I really don't. Like a scrawny guy, and you think I must be stronger. There must be, but no. no. Yeah, they are. They are just the power, just their grip strength, just the power of their hands, just holding your wrist. And you're just like, ah, this is interesting. And then you try and do the same thing, and your grip strength is just not as good. Yeah, so like, you have to work a lot harder. Yeah. to get so anywhere near there. I listen to you know debates about MMA and there was a time when Ronda Rousey was you know just defeating everybody like she could fight a bloke and I was like not at the same level as her she couldn't yeah just no I don't care how brilliant she is it's just a lot of people were saying that she should fight a guy but I don't think she should have because I don't know what it would prove it would it would it would prove that that guy had a good or a bad day yeah basically because she'd have to have an amazing day either way yeah, so you find that that is a controversial opinion? Don't people know. don't like well, it? Well, people... Uh, I mean, on the internet, this is the thing, right? So I'm a, I'm a big atheist, and I'm a big, you know, in terms of... I'm Technically, I'm agnostic, because nobody can ever know. But my position is, in life, there is... There more is likely not More likely not. not. Exactly. I live as if there isn't. Um, and that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. I am a bad person, but that's not the reason why. Um, but... So, and I'm um, feminist. And for those two points, the only people I've ever got grief from are atheists and feminists. Not really. I've had a couple of blokes grope me up and I've, you know, jitsued them and got rid of them. And I've had 
a few, you know, show us your tits type comments, but not very often. And it's far more common that I get, you know, told off for wearing leggings on the internet. I did, I did a silly photo on Instagram of me because I put my leggings on inside out and so I was showing people the label and what an idiot I am and I got a couple of messages from, I'm not going to say who they were from, but they were female and they were uh, women saying, stop showing off your body, you slut type thing. I got slut shamed by feminists. What? What? Because apparently me, me being disgustingly thin, I'm not, but me being disgustingly thin is a terrible affront to other women who aren't. So this is this interesting thing. Uh, I've spoken about this before where as a woman when you're on stage or just in the world, mm. uh, your body is seen as a statement. Mm. It's People will not believe that it isn't a statement, that you being ugly or pretty or making effort or not making effort isn't some sort of communication communication Mm. that you're not saying something to them specifically so you might want to dress up nicely so you can feel good you might want to dress up nicely for a particular person yeah or for a particular occasion but once you go into a public space everyone in that public space reads your dress and presence and body and physicality and effort as a direct communication with them it's a very weird thing. It's 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 a. Uh, I, I remember uh, listening to a podcast. I can't remember whose it was, and I think I might remember whose it was, but I don't want to either say because I disagree with them, and I want I want to know why. Tell you why they're wrong. Um, <laughs> but they were they were talking about it's two blokes and talking about there was a woman on the tube putting on makeup. Yes. And one bloke was going, "Oh, it annoys me when that happens." Just like no, don't do. That's just like how is that? That's not. The other bloke was. Well, it's not like she was getting dressed. I mean, this is. And the other one was just like, I just think it's really rude. And I know why he does. And it's because cause the makeup should be for him. And if the makeup's not for him, she's not performing for him. And therefore he feels that he's not important. Oh, yes. Which is, so any time that you're... It's offensive to see behind the veil because it implies that she doesn't care about your opinion. Exactly. Which she doesn't. Which she doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is that thing. If you dress up... You know, you meet a friend of yours in a club and you want to impress her or him. Mm. Everyone in that club feels like you're hitting on them. Yeah. It's a... It's a it's and I don't know how to change that. No, it's, it's a sort of... It's, it's a very self-centred, individualistic view of the world. Because yes. everything that happens around you must be about you in order for you to make sense of it. Just like it's in every, um, in every film, what people wear is vitally important to the character that they're portraying. Yes. So costume and everything else. And it's a, it's a bit like conspiracy theories, I suppose, in a way, because you've got, you know, any time... I, I, I love conspiracy theories, but what happens is, because we're so programmed to be given... We are given beautiful stories every single day of our lives. We get, read the newspapers, and they're beautifully... All the facts are to do with the story. We watch a film... There's no all irrelevant the facts. facts. Exactly. Yes. There's like, look at the film Up... Right, there's a leaf blow, which is used as a joke in like the opening act, and then come act three, without that leaf blower, they couldn't have resolved the entire plot. Everything is really spare, there's nothing, it's minimalist, everything has a point and a purpose. Yes. Reality is not like that. No. Reality has all as there's there's there is the central plot, you can kind of see it, and then there's loads of bullshit. 
And the trouble is, you can make a story out of all that bullshit. And everybody thinks, well, in order for the story to make sense, all the bullshit has to be included. Hence why you think that, you know, the Earth's flat or, you know, 9-11 was an inside job or whatever. It's because you think, we have to get the plot to fit all of this information yes. when it doesn't need to. No. Um, with Ockham's Razor. Well, similarly... I can't remember my point now. Where did we start with this? We started with the fact that people see personal appearance yeah. as a as a direct communication. So and, and you see it the most with particularly with fat women yeah. um, who get treated as though their bodies are offensive or rude. Yeah. To other people, it's and less so with fat men, but to a certain extent also with fat men. But then fat women. You know, eat, well not all fat women, obviously, but a few on the internet who actually haven't met me as well, which is even more annoying. <laughs> but that they all they sort of go, well, if they're that's how they're being judged, they're going to judge me like that, and that's fair somehow. Yeah, that, it, that I think is one of the great fallacies of the um, current operating hypothesis of privilege, mm. which is the idea that you. If you are, are privileged on one particular vector, mm. then you must know it and feel it and th- not be vulnerable in any other way. Yeah. And that's not true at all. Well, what's particularly griping about it, you know, so I've been doing all these things, going bulk foods, that sort of, so it's obvious that I'm trying to put on weight. Yes. <laughs> you know? So it's not, it wasn't even like I was disagreeing with them. Yes. But yeah, oh, I don't but know. But even it's that effort for somebody who's like you, who's quite lean and you're struggling to put on weight, even that is seen as a bit affronting to somebody who might have been told all their life that they should lose weight yes. and find it difficult. And and therefore, you know, and therefore nobody, there's no empathy because I don't fit their, you know, their understanding that women are supposed to be um, large. Women are supposed to have extra body fat in order to be sexy or whatever. Um, and it's just the current climate that makes the fact that people of me exist don't fit that story and therefore I'm a shill for the patriarchy or I don't know, gym membership, I have no idea but it's just, it, it really irritated me, more than it should more than it should have because I was trying to bulk at the time and also had all my friends and family going, are you alright? Yeah. 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 No, 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 not are you alright so it more, you know you look like a, you know, child's famine victim and that sort of thing and just like, oh thanks guys See, that's not but right. I'm getting muscles um, no, but that's the sort of friends I hang out with. This is the trouble. I should have nicer friends. Yeah, I think the, the moral of the story is you should have nicer friends I remember and not listen to people on the internet. I, rent, I know, I, I remember what the point of uh, my plot-based thing oh I was yes. talking about. All the extraneous facts and the idea that everything has, has to have a story is in our culture and the idea that we have to be part of the story. So we have to um, be the central character of our own story. Mm. means that anything that happens outside us um, is to do with us. And hence why somebody dressed in a certain way or somebody putting on weight or somebody losing weight is about us. Mm. Because it has to be, because that is the way... You understand your life. Well, it's, it's, it's very... And it's very, you know, Western cultural understanding. It's very new. And, you know, cause there were, you know, even even things which were collectivist in the past so we had political you know we had movements but even now that's entirely individual 
the movements they feel it you know you, you kind of you can see that people go let's do this charity work and I will put about it on my particular Facebook thing and again show how I am connected whereas I have a feeling and I'm not saying it's right but this is different to how it was in the 1960s or 1950s where movements were of certainly the 1930s where things were about the group and about the ideas and you're going to be part of something that's going to go on after you yes do you know what I mean yes and it's a different... The whole thing smells differently now. Yeah. I love the way you're looking at me, just going, I don't know if you're being re- very deep or talking a load of bullshit. No, no <laughs> I'm, I'm just uh, thinking about uh, an article that I read recently from somebody who was in the... who's a social justice activist. Mm. And she was saying that she feels that it hasn't... that she's having a lot of private conversations with other activists about the fear that they feel in their activist spaces about this very heightened level of judgment, this very heightened mm. level of, of sort of purity rhetoric that's happening, that you have to be the perfect activist and that you can't be, you can't be bad or wrong on any of these kind of relevant points which shift constantly and that also you can't even be problematic or developing. There's no sense of... Uh, of us all as imperfect beings mm. there's this sense of you're either a good person or a bad but yeah, a good activist or a bad activist as though yeah. as though those things well, were I mean, innate rather the than the fact that they said Jermaine Greer isn't a feminist because of her transgender views and you're yeah. just, oh my god it's yeah oh my god <laughs> and the but fact not just that she's yeah. not a feminist but that she's sort of a dangerous person yeah in that and way. she's not allowed to speak and it's like but it's, it's the idea that people with opposing opinions can't speak i think is a huge problem because it just brings attention to them for one yeah. and it gives them more importance than they have yes well that's one of the reasons why i do this podcast because yeah. i think it's important to talk about you know, troubling. I'll tell you. Okay, okay. Here's here's the thing that happens. I'll see what you think of this. I right. I was doing this was last year, International Women's Day. Whoop whoop. And if you know International Women's Day uh, gigs, they are usually atrocious. Um, because uh, as far as in this country, whenever I've done an International Women's Day, it's usually been p- like part of you know a college or something like that, or raising money for something. So the budget is zero because we're raising money yes. and therefore getting big name acts is difficult yes. so what they tend to do is they tend to get perhaps three people who've been on stage before and then ah, fill it up with awful, not awful but just not practical you know, you know, 20 year old girls who've never been on stage before clutching poetry going when I am old I will wear purple terrified you know and people who've not really played the guitar before but deciding to tune it on stage you know, for the audience's delight that is... And so you do have an audience of feminists leaving, going, oh, God, women are shit. But <laughs> it's not the best. All I'm saying is invest in these things and you will get good stuff. But um, I was at one in Leamington Spa, and actually the act was decent. It was basically all-female comedy night. I was headlining it. They had a decent compare, and the other rest were students and other like, newer comedians, all women. And there were, I think there was one Asian girl, and all the rest were white. Mm-hmm. And then two... There were two uh, women in the audience who were very, um, who were not cis women. Mm-hmm. So they were trans women and they were very early stage trans women. So they must have been about 18 years old, 19 years old. 
and they made a fuss because there was no trans women being represented in an International Women's Day gig. This gig was only an hour and a half, mm-hmm. just so you know the sort of time limits of the thing. And so they started to protest. And so one of the women was dropped so that they could go on stage and um, perform. And they were good. Um, and they were funny. And they were, you know, and the, everything was happy. The woman said she didn't mind. And it was absolutely fine. Blah, blah, blah. I was sort of driving on my way home. And it still plays in my mind thinking, well, that was good that the audience that we include trans women, is a shame they weren't originally booked because they were funny. But the way that they acted, saying, and very, 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 you know, the, the way that they were very confident and the way they went up and they said, this is wrong and we're going to do this, it was very male. Oh it was dear. exactly that sort of thing that men just go, hang on, we should be here. Why aren't we here? Let's do it. And the thing that most young women would just go, oh, that's a bit bad. Maybe I'll talk to them later about it. And in the same way, the girl that they dropped was just, oh, it's fine, I understand these things. No ego about it. And I just kept thinking... That's a really controversial thing to say. No, it is a controversial thing to say. And I was thinking, this is, you know, because I was thinking, it's a very, you know, (sighs) I don't know. It is a very aggressive thing to do. Yeah, it was very aggressive. I mean, can you imagine going to... arguably aggressive in the cause of justice, but it is I think, and don't get me wrong, they were both, you know, both of the girls who um, went up there were very funny. They were very... um, And they were were good, and and I think they were right. Trans women should have been represented. But on the other hand, there weren't any, you know, um, you know, other ethnic minorities other than one Asian girl performing as well and that seemed fine <laughs> to everybody but you know it's I, I was just I was a bit sort of I I think in retrospect I wanted the there's being an acknowledgement of it but not to bump the other girl off the bill for the sake of you know yeah. I think well, the acknowledgement the of the mistake thing about yeah. representation right do you want affirmative action representation which is to say for every uh, for every t- sort of white woman in the population, you have a proportionate number of white women on a bill, mm. and so on and so forth, which is impossible to achieve in a short space of time. You cannot have, unless you get people who are can, very specific really ethnic mongrels like me, you yeah. know, I'm half Jewish and half, you know, that nice. kind of thing. Unless you get very specific about demographics, that's an impossibility. So then. But Do also you overrepresent people in smaller minorities so that they have more voice? I also I'm I'm, I'm 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 also slightly of the opinion that really trans women were represented by women because trans women are women and it's yes. And th- there is that sort of part of me that goes okay so you're not you're you're separate just because you aren't, aren't cis women doesn't mean you're any less a woman therefore why would it did you see well the, there's it, a whole at least spiral if taking it away from specific identities oh. and personhood if we're looking purely at the rhetorical arguments that are made by the trans movement mm. it's that trans women are women and should be accepted as women many trans women don't like being called trans women they just want to be accepted women. as women straight yeah. up in that instance then yes yeah but on the other hand you have that all alternate argument or the other arm of that argument which is that 
if trans women are not accepted as women, then they need to fight this fight for representation and acceptance and acknowledgement. But do, I, I guess I would need to talk to a trans woman about this. But even, uh, do the trouble you is want you to speak to a trans woman and she does not represent all trans women. Yes. And I, I do kind of think, <laughs> I, I'm also slightly, um, you know, as one who books a lot of history gigs, that's the thing, I always try and get, you know, you know, a mixture of different people on the bill. But sometimes I often find myself going, well, why can't I have four white guys? Because I like white guys, and all of these four in particular are good, and yes. it, would, it would be a good night. And then I tend not to do that. I tend to make an active thing of going, well, not everybody, you know, we're going to get, you know, a very boring bill doing this. And then I'm just like, why should people be... Because I'm, I'm, you know, part of me, and I, I understand, but part of me just does go... Ah, oh, but they are different people. Yeah. Not all white guys are the same by a long way. Well, not all and any of anything is are exactly. the same. Exactly, and I, I, I worry that all of this breaking down into different categories, because you can put me in loads of different categories, but ultimately I'm, there's one of me who does this. Well, so it's, it's an interesting thing. So we have a couple of streams of conversation happening here. One is that you've got this atheist and sceptical background. And the other is that a lot of a lot of the movements that are happening now are getting a religious tone and quality to them. Mm. There's a sense of very much driven by your gut feeling, very much driven by your sort of in Emotion. that in a similar way to religious epiphany, your identity is something that you realize and you recognize and you actualize and you pursue and you sort of must declaim it in church. Mm. You have to I have to sort of go, okay, so I am white all the way through, but like half my family's, I've got three siblings who are Moroccan British, and I've got three siblings who are Australian. Yes. Is that. Yes, <laughs> and, that, and that denying, this is a big thing and a recent thing, but a very dominant thing um, that's happened since the development of psychoanalysis, since Freudian mm. sort of thinking, that if there is a part of you that you do not acknowledge and and actualize, bring forward and present, you damage yourself. So, you know, you went from a so sort like of a culture of... like coming out of the clo closet yeah, type, yeah. And it's very accepted. And yeah. it's, it's almost inarguable at this point. It's so well accepted in our society that if you have a part of your identity and you don't Talk about do it. it actively... So if, you, if you're quiet about your mental illness, if you're quiet about... Yes, if yeah, you repress right. it or hide it, it's, if you're it's shaming disease. and therefore a damaging to you, yeah. but also damaging to the fabric of society in some way. Because there's, there's a lot of... I've read a lot of things that I didn't even know Victoria Wood was ill type, you know, things came out after her death because I was quite shocked by her death as well. And it was, and it was almost angry. Yes. <laughs> like, why didn't we go through this with you type? And you're just like... But on the other hand, I think particularly illness and that sort of thing should be a very private matter. Yeah, well, we have sort of knocked privacy down a few mm. pegs in the hierarchy of things that are important to us as individuals in a society. And again, I don't know... I think it's probably quite a, a, a grey thing and people want it to be black and white. I don't know how much of this is really useful. I think some of it is definitely really, mm. really useful. There are many people throughout history who've lived miserable lives because they haven't been able to express who they were because they were afraid or because the society would be uh, violent to them. Why do you or say that? We don't know because we don't know. 
Yes. They might have been very happy in there. There's, there is a lot of... Well, equally, this is the thing. Yeah. We don't know how many people have successfully repressed mm. things. How many people who had, you know, burgeoning depression in the 1800s just did pull their boots up and got on with things. Or yeah. But the argument now, and very, very, very accepted, seems to be you cannot do that. It will only be damaging to you, but also in some broader sense, some really ephemeral, and this is where the religious thing comes in, it's some, it's a wrong. It is a, like, it's an absolute wrong and you're doing a wrong to the universe yeah. by not being public in your well, or doing. Identity. I think the wrong isn't to the universe, it's wrong to the other people who are struggling with the same thing you are. Yes. So if you are, for example, I always tell people, you know, I've been in a relationship now for, what, six, seven years with my boyfriend... But pre prior to him, to be fair, prior to him, I was with another man. But prior to him, I was with a woman. So there's a, there's a sort of, you know, so I tell people I'm bisexual, but well, sensibly, I'm straight at the moment. You know, it's, it's, it, but I tell people I'm bisexual because I don't want people to think that that's... Um, that Something you're ashamed of. Yeah, or that I'm trying to hide previous things, or that if that you can't be bisexual if you're in a relationship with either a man or a woman. Yes. Do you see what I mean? Because it's like, yes. I don't want bisexuality to be seen as, oh, the you've picked... Bisexuality and monogamy are parallel, but yeah. they don't affect one another. Yeah. That, that's that sort of thing. Which is entirely my perception of it. Mm. Other people go, oh, I had this little dalliance in my early 20s and now I've sorted myself out. You know, I'm definitely gay or I'm definitely... Um, I was going to say definitely gay or definitely lesbian. No, definitely gay or definitely straight. But there is, there is, yeah, no, I, I, I see what you mean about this, this proclamation, and it is about performance. And I wonder if it is. It's not very British. It's not very British. It's very American. Mm, maybe. Very. Because uh, it is all individual, and there is no. Th it's trying to help other individuals with their personal struggles by being honest and open about yours. Yes. And I think there's something quite sexy about not knowing stuff about someone. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting thing because, you know, even 50 years ago, if you were, for example, a gay man and you had, through various social pressures, married a woman and had children... Hmm your duty would be to your children and to your wife and not to yourself, not to your identity, not to your gayness, not to that. And nowadays that would be seen as a real wrong if your husband realised or finally decided to admit to being gay. It would be seen as wrong for you to try and make him stay with you. Mm. And that's a real shift. But as with all sort of religious things, it's, it's now accepted completely accepted i think by the yeah. people who accept it i think the pursuit of happiness is and the it problem. seems viscerally viscerally right to me as well but mm. that's also because i'm of, of this time yeah it's the pursuit of happiness and sacrificing only one's well it's, it's not even you're not even sacrificing yourself for your happiness you're sacrificing your friends and family in social situations aren't you yeah so when you're you know and I mean, this is also a very white thing. There's yeah. still many Asian cultures where people would say, oh, I'm not going to come out, it would destroy my parents. Yeah. But for us, that, se that seems wrong oh, and destroying weird. destroying your parents is 
actually actively encouraged, is it not? Yes. This is. But yeah, it's. There is a. There's something about, you know, if I look at the things that we're missing as a culture, it is the. And I'm not saying I want it either. But there isn't this sort of collective. There isn't the collective religion. There isn't the collective, you know, communist movement, I suppose. There isn't. It's all about the individual. And it's yes. all. And I think it's just. I think it doesn't make you very happy when you're self-analyzing that much. And um, and part of it is because I do, and I didn't really pick up on it until I started doing jiu-jitsu, where I was suddenly like, we're all like, at the nationals, there's what, 300 people on the mat, and we're all doing break-falling together. So we're all kneeling, going, you know, doing a backwards roll, doing a forward roll, doing a sideways roll, hitting the mat at the same time. Mm. And you just feel like, you know, it's that army feeling, you know, and you, you hear about that, you know, people who go to war and they experience something bad together in their little group and the bonds they have with those people that they're, you know, um, positioned with. Positioned is the wrong word. Deployed. Deployed with, yeah. Um, barracked with, I don't know. But that is something that we're lacking almost everywhere else. You get it as well with people who do, um, you know, group therapies. So you get people who are in Alcoholics Anonymous suddenly have these bonds which are seem real and the trouble is now as you were saying with family bonds they're pre- predicated on the individuals not changing yes and there can be no there is no certainty and there is no security anymore in yeah I think maybe the balance or there's a, a pendulum effect or the balance is off where we have recognised as a society that often those kind of group things can be incredibly oppressive. Mm. They can require conformity to the level they of are, They make you do push-ups. It's annoying for swearing. It's just not right. Yeah, <laughs> or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. But, you know, if you're a compulsive swearer, if you have mm. Tourette's or if you are deviant in some other way, if you're overweight and in the army or all of these mm. things, these kind of points of difference used to be very damaging. And so we've recognize that and recognize the bad thing about those group efforts and we haven't got to the point where we found a balance with them again i think yeah i think i think we i mean maybe, um, we haven't gone too far the other way yet you know there's we could do so much more yes you know we could do so much more so i don't i'm not suggesting that or maybe I, the thing that we've I, done is i i think we confused culture because basically I'm you know I, I, I do a joke about you know the only way that they can the reason there are so many super so many superhero movies these days is because the only way you can make stories about white people interesting is to give them superpowers mm-hmm. because every single every movie's the same white people and it would be you know from my perspective is so it's great when you like you know watch Japanese movies or watch other movies from different cultures because you're like oh my god this is a different story yeah, to the one different I know. kind of story yeah yeah, and that is a different thing to watching I don't know a Disney film like Pocahontas or what was the re- most recent Pocahontas film what was her name Ma- oh, I can't remember Disney film where they're in Moana yeah that one that is a white story with um, set in a different culture mm-hmm. whereas really if you get a different culture's stories and have all white people do it 
that's what I want. I want the stories from the other culture. Different priorities, different cultural pressures, different relationships. Yeah, well, it's the story. Yeah, it's the, it's the different. It's the different structures of what is, what is good and what isn't. Well, I mean, this you is know. the other thing. By the numbers, like Bollywood far outpaces well, yeah. Hollywood, for example. So this this sense that in an there's no absolute reality to the statement that all the stories are white stories. This is true. However, or, you know, Bollywood's example, very influenced as well by Hollywood in their in some of their stuff. I mean, yes, in their of course, boy gets girl type. But the just the whole like all the white stories, all the white actors. If mm. It's only from our specific perspective. There's an arrogance to that. Yeah. To that um, lack of representation or the worries about the lack of representation I, in that way. But my point is. The, the bad thing isn't just we only see white people. Mm. The bad thing is also we only hear the same stories again and again and again and again, which feeds into this individualistic view of the world, which feeds into the idea of the straight plot and everything else. Mm. Um, I, I find it very interesting, on a slight side note, that at the same time that we, you know, as, as modern individuals, you know, from our backgrounds, I'm assuming you're a bit like this. When we look for spiritualism, like when I look for spiritualism, I usually go to Far East for spiritualism. I usually go well, to... Well, I mean, my specific background is in a Far, far East religion. Well, so there we go. It's but, maybe but it's slightly it's true skewed. of it, it, It's true of, you know, I'd see it better use of my time to meditate than to read the Bible or maybe even read Western philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that an interesting thing and I think I don't know I don't know why that would be because the Bible is not bereft of stories and morals and everything else in there and you don't have to believe it's magic for it to work but there's I don't know I don't know why I brought that up I had a no, point no that's interesting I mean this I, whole it's, well, it's I an want you to talk thing. about things that you're not sure yeah. about. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's this thing that, you know, reading philosophy is, you know, Western philosophy doesn't feel like it's talking to you. Mm. Whereas Eastern philosophy, just because the nature of it being incredibly open and something that you have to experience. So like meditation is something you have. Nirvana is something that people are said to experience yes. after practice and practice and practice of shutting, you know, I was going to say shutting their brain down, but it's not that. It's living in the moment and yeah. going through this... Refining attention and focus and exactly. perception. And, but, you know, that is very anti the culture of Western philosophy, which is you've got to think these things through logically and you've got to find the finer points and then you can justify your emotions and feelings in a certain way or maybe cha- try and change them in order to fit the model of reality. Yes. And that will make you happy. Yeah. And that's a very different thing. So it, it's not saying... So, for example, to bring it back to your gay husband, who's just realised he's gay and coming out, the Eastern philosophy is he should be what he is. Yes. And the Western philosophy might be, well, okay, he could be what he is, but there's this logical thing, and this philosopher says this about it, and this philosopher says that about it, and this philosopher looks at the historic nature of it and says this about it. Yes, that he should either pack it all away and stay with his family or leave, whereas I think maybe in the Eastern sort of philosophy, as you characterise it, he could just be your husband and also be gay. Yeah, 
and just accept that. Yeah. That he's made this choice to be with his family. Or he moves or to be, away. Or he it, be, yeah. But he is what he is. Yeah. But there's a... Which, it's weird, because we're living in an incredibly materialist But world. there's less pressure in that, in that sense that he is what he is yeah. in a more passive way, that he should do but what he is or be what he is in a more loud and aggressive and active way. Yeah. Maybe there's that difference. I think so. I think passivity is under undervalued. However, and it, it works with, you know, if you really try and do good jitsu and you're really trying... You go all stiff. Everything goes wrong. If you go with the flow of it, you might not have your feet perfect, but they go over your head. You know? <coughs> it's... It's weird. I, I mean, I like, like, you know, if I was listening to this podcast, I'd be very frustrated. Because if, if I make a decision about something, stop waffling. But I'm no. good. Yeah, waffling is fun. I mean, again, deliberately... I'm interested in looking at things that aren't certain and that mm. they're... I mean, I don't have to... You don't have to have a resolution. No. And that's one of the reasons why it's okay to say things that might not be... Like, you're like, oh, I'm not sure how I feel about this or yeah. how I sound to other people saying this. Well, but I just think, airing them, I think, I think I useful. sound incredibly fatphobic. <laughs> <laughs> I think I sound fatphobic. I think I sound um, slightly transphobic. I think I sound like I um, think there are definite gender... You know, there's definite thing is gender and there's, you know, not just sex, but gender. Yes. Um, and I sound very old-fashioned and think we should all be like my grandmother and live miserably with a man she didn't love. You know, that's... Which is interesting because none of those things would be sort of characteristic of the way that you generally present yourself or the way that you would think of yourself. Yeah. But of course, but I think this is why these are why ideas that you're struggling with. talking about this, yeah, is, it's, it's not, difficult. It doesn't change your who you are and what you actually think to air these things that you're struggling with. Yeah, I suppose. Unless it does. I Unless mean, it does and then I just go away from here. Are you fatphobic? Um, yeah, but only because I'm worried about my boyfriend who's very... <laughs> who is, I mean, bless him, and I, I, don't get me wrong, I'm, I, I find him incredibly attractive and everything else, but I worry because he's getting to the age where, you know, he is overweight, well, he's obese, and I worry about him because there are certain things that happen to you as you get older and you have weights, which are just terrifying. Yeah. So I want to help him. I want to basically do the thing of going, it's okay to be the way you are, and I love you exactly the way you are, but please lose weight because I'm worried about you, rather yes. than, you know, just... So I, I'm fat-phobic in that sense. So no, I think it was brought well, up that, by... That I, don't, I, I don't think that my feelings for you or your value as a human being or your moral worth are affected by your weight. No. But also... I don't want to have to deal with taking you to hospital. I don't mind taking him to hospital. I just don't want him to be in pain. Yeah. That's what I don't want to see. Yes. That's what emotionally I can't cope with. Then how would you respond to the sort of uh, fat activist statement that health and weight are not connected to one another? That sort of thing makes me slightly angry because they are. Yeah, I mean, and there scientifically, are outliers, of, course. of course, there are outliers, but they're very rare. I mean, if you look at, you know, there's the thing of, oh, your BMI, it might all be muscle. It's like, well, men maybe, but in women, most female athletes, like the heaviest of a BMI of like 23, which is well within healthy grounds. And don't get me wrong, 
being completely athletic and having low body fat percentage is dangerous in a woman. I know I'm trying to put on weight. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not saying that there isn't, you know, there isn't complexity. But at the same time, I'm also saying I think we should be encouraged to be a healthy weight rather than try, you know, say, oh, it's fine to be in a place where, you know, you're not going, you're going to really suffer in a few years. Yeah, I think the problem is our general inability to see normative as anything other than prescriptive or prescriptive as anything other than, like, moral judgment. So to yeah. say one thing is optimal mm. is not to say that if you're another way, you're a bad person or unworthy or just, shameful just, or you know, it's entirely ugly or any of those things. It's entirely, I mean, it's certainly, you know, I, I, I do another joke on stage about because people assume certain things about bisexuals and every man I've been out with has been very large, very furry. And every woman I've been out with has been quite petite and worn dresses and long hair and that sort of thing. So there's, there's for me, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not an attractive thing. Well, I think another argument about kind of the, or fat phobia is that there are, so many things that we that most people do that are imperfect it's very mm. you know it's unethical to be in a capitalist society basically it's, it's almost oh, impossible yeah. to live ethically within the framework that we have now so most of what we do is suboptimal in one way or another whether mm. it's you know driving a car or buying a sandwich well i apologize for drinking dark coke at the very beginning because i know that coca-cola is not a company i want to be associated with yeah so you all know. of that stuff and so in that framework you could diminish the kind of arguments about people's bodies true i mean that don't i don't want anybody you know i do not i do not judge people based on the way they look mm. i what i dislike is the idea of encouraging people um, not to try to get to their optimum, whether that's um, going, you know, I will never go to a gym because X, Y, and Z reason, when the real reason is you're slightly fearful of going to a gym and you're not sure if you want to try it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's, a, there's you know, ah, it's really difficult to phrase without coming across as completely... You know, because I do. Look, I, do I think if you take it away from anyone's particular body, I think, you know, including people with disabilities, mm. I think everybody should have a sense of their body, should be capable with their body to the extent that they are capable of it's using it. Yeah. I think it's a waste. I, I find this, I mean, this is going to bring it back to my experience. Mm. My mum was very sick for a very long time. And she would, you know, when she could, she would go for a swim in the morning mm. and she had, you know, difficulties with things like impulse control and her, her weight over the years. And, and even so, she went for a little swim in the morning in the cold water and it was a really good thing. And at, when I was at university, I would meet all these wonderful, arty, you know, beautiful people, you know, f physically beautiful, very, you know, slender or whatever, who would sort of lie around or not sort try. of sneer at physical activity mm. because they were intellectuals and i found that like a real affront i, I found that like why are you wasting I used to be like that because i never i never when i was at school because mainly because i grew so quickly i was awful at sports 
I mean, I had no idea where my arms are, legs were, anything was, because they'd just grown like feet, you know? <laughs> they were just like zoom, they'd zoomed away from me. And I was terrible at sport, and also, my mum kind of went to the gym on the occasion. My dad never did any physical activity. My stepdad didn't. My stepmum didn't. There was no, there's no example of, and all of my family are intellectuals. You know, I've got two professors, an architect and a teacher. They're all very, very about the brain. Brain people. So I assume the people who exercise are stupid because they couldn't do the science at school. Yeah. And that's kind of what the the trope is. And then suddenly, when I started to exercise, and my brain woke up. And I suddenly got this rush of endorphins and this rush of serotonin and everything else. And I was just like, I can get so much more done. I'm thinking more creatively. I'm feeling better. And, oh, if I stop eating as much sort of, you know, chocolate as I was, I'm actually doing better. You know, I just feel more awake and I'm not feeling so run down and terrible. And if I start looking at my diet and I eat more iron, oh my God, I can actually stay awake throughout the day. There's, you you know, just getting up in the morning and doing 20 minutes of anything, even if it's just digging in the garden, it just sets your mind off. Yeah. Um, and I didn't appreciate that at all. And I did think there was, there was me as a body that I was just in, and then my brain. That your brain was riding around in something. Yeah, and it's entirely connected. Yeah. Well, it's your brain is your body, and yeah. you don't necessarily want to recognise that or realise that. And I just... I just so you know, to, to take so it a little bit back to, to mm. the, our discussion about trans people, mm. I think the trans people I have known who've transitioned with hormones mm. recognise that maybe more than many other people. You certainly must How do. much your brain is... I was speaking to a trans man Subject about to it, your body. And he was just like, you have no idea how angry I get. You have no idea how angry I get. <laughs> and it's just that, that thing of just taking extra testosterone, which is making him just go, I could punch somebody just for stepping wrong right now. And you're just like, okay, I'm going to move away from you. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that, that yeah. we are really subject to our bodies in mm. many ways. I think so. And it's, but it is that thing of, yeah, I, I wish, I wish you know the, to the women who sort of said to me the only reason you go to the gym is patriarchy and you're just vain about the way you look it really isn't about the way I look do you know it's about how much I can bench yeah um, that's 72 and a half kilograms that's quite impressive for a lady um, <laughs> but um, I, I really it, it frustrates me slightly that the obesity academic, um, epidemic is about what size clothes people wear mm. And I'm one of those people who thinks there is Rather an Rather than about how much they can bench. Yeah, it should be about how much you can bench. Powerlifters are o- overweight a lot of the time. Yes. Um, and that's for a reason, because they carry a lot of muscle and they don't, you know... Cut. I don't think there's anything healthy about being a you know, bikini model. I think if you want to do that, great. But if you're a bikini model, your body fat percentage has to be seriously low in order to get your muscles to show. And that's going to drain your bones of minerals. That's not a good thing in the long run. Yeah. But... At the same time, you've got to do what you're passionate about. And the thing is, when you find something you're passionate about, it really isn't about what you look like. It's about what you can do. Yeah. And and even a bikini model isn't just about what you, you know, it's about what you look like, but in the sense that I'm getting this muscle to show. What do I have to do to achieve that? I have to build it up on this machine for hours. I'm going to do it, you know. And it is about the discipline. There's something lovely about the hierarchy and discipline which i don't think we 
self-discipline in that. Yeah, which Jitsu I think sort of opt-in discipline is always yeah. good. Opt-in discipline. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just I get frustrated because yeah, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get horrible, horrible, fat phobic. You're a right wing nut job comment. No, you absolutely aren't. Like, <laughs> okay. the, I deliberately want this podcast to be a, a safe space for dangerous ideas and okay. to talk about the things that you're not comfortable with, yeah. even thinking. But, yeah. Because otherwise we don't have proper discussions about them. Again, True. otherwise the only people who are talking about it are the people who are angry and the people who are scared. Yeah. And those are not good conversations. You want no. neutral people having these conversations. Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not coming at it from a neutral thing. You know, I've got somebody who I wish would lose a bit of weight um, just because I don't want to see him suffer in a very emotional thing. Yeah. And then I get frustrated when there's advertising and, ha you know, for... You can eat so many of these biscuits and they're low calorie. And it's like, yeah, you can, but can we eat some fruit and veg? You know, and trying to... Be more pragmatic and functional about the bodies and less sort of caught up in the whole politics of it. Yeah, just just basically... And it, it does worry me that, you know, on a very... Well, that's bad, you know. When, when you have... I read a thing in New Scientist a couple of weeks ago where... It, it was saying a third of adults can't tell if their kids are over or underweight or obese even. That's interesting. You only, you only compare your kids to the other kids. So if the other kids are overweight and obese, you think your kid's normal. And then that kid gets diabetes at 12. That's worrying. It's just... And diabetes is horrible. It's Everybody's like, oh, it's fine. You just control... No, it's horrible. You end up with your limbs cut off. Yeah. And blind. It's no good. I just, you know, if you can avoid doing that to yourself, please. Please do. Where please. can people find you online? Oh, gosh. Well, izzy.com is my website. Please don't hate me. I-S-Z-I.com. Um, you can find me at Izzy Lawrence, so at Izzy, I-S-Z-I underscore L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E. Same on Instagram. You can leave lots of body shaming things there. Uh, and, yeah, that's pretty. Oh, and the podcast. So British Museum member cast. Uh, Zed List, Zed List. We didn't talk any history at all. Uh, Zed List, Zed List, and Seti Sopo. Brilliant. Thank you so much. This Thank was a really good conversation. Was it? I'm was really it okay? Glad. Yes. I, I, went, I went deep because I wanted to. I want, yeah, yeah that's good. exactly. You gave me exactly the thing cool. that I want. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Thompson, but not for you. Sally Rifles on.